humorous way to look at the way people so often do not understand what church is about and they don't understand what happens in church and they don't thank you for turning off your cell by the way i heard that one um they don't know what, what it's all about what is church about anyway um there's all kinds of misconceptions about church when we were in greece as missionaries we discovered that the uh, greek orthodox believed that a church was a building that was built in the shape of a cross and uh if you know your Bible today, you know that the church is, is uh, not just a building built in the shape of a cross. There's a lot of different organizations that use the term church. We've got the Church of Scientology. Uh, how many know today that that is not a Christian organization? Although they call themselves a church, it's, uh, it's not, not what we understand a church to be. Um, and we don't always believe that the church is right, although some people believe the church is, is always right. How many know that, that God is always right, but the church isn't always right? And so what I want to do t- today, uh, because there's confusion about what the church is about and what it means, and because uh, people don't always understand uh, what happens here, uh, some people think that there's some kind of secret handshakes that take place in the church. <laughs> they, they, they don't go to church often. They don't know what happens inside these doors. They're afraid to come in. So we're going to make it really clear this morning. The word church in the scripture, uh, we get that word church from the word ecclesia, which simply means a gathering of, of, of people. That's, that's what a church is. It's a gathering of or an assembly of people. The, the, the other question that needs to be answered this morning is when was the church established? And very simply, it was established right after Pentecost. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn to Acts chapter 2, looking at verses 41 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47. And the Bible says that uh, the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And at that time, Peter, one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus, stood up and preached a sermon and lo and behold, after he preached that sermon, 3,000 people became believers. 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus. In Acts 2, 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, here's a question this morning. What do you do with 3,000 new believers? Where do you, where do you put them? What do you, what do you do with this collection of brand new believers? Well, look at it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And it says this. They worshiped together at the temple each day. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meal, their meals with great joy and generosity. And so here's the thing. They met together collectively, but then they, they met together in homes. So you get these little, little pockets or collections of, a collection of, of, of believers meeting together. And uh, we're going to talk about what they did when they got together. And we're, we're talking this morning about why it's so important to get into a small group. You'll notice that we've got a banner up. It says 40 Days of Community. And over the next, uh, starting next week, over the next eight weeks, uh, seven weeks, we're going to be talking about why you need to serve God in the context of fellowship with other believers. That's what we're going to be talking about. And so we're asking as many po- people as possible to sign up for a small group if you're not in a small group yet, the, there's a there's a the community center back there. 
And uh, we invite you to drop by there, and they'll help you get signed up and help you find a place to worship uh, in a small group. Now, the question is this. Why should you get involved in a small group? Well, let's take a look at what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us that this is how you grow spiritually. Getting in a small group is how you grow spiritually. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, I want you to notice this morning, friends, that the first description, look, the first description of the early church is as a group, a group practicing their faith together. And what is it that they practice together? Well, they, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what they did together. Now, some people are of the opinion that they can be a Christian and, and they don't ever have to go to church and they don't ever have to fellowship with other believers. In fact, some people say, you know, I'm, I practice, I'm very private about my faith. I practice it, uh, you know, and I, I don't, I don't talk about it because it's a personal thing. Well, I want you to know some today, uh, that's just simply not acceptable according to the scripture. When we were in Greece as missionaries, one of the other things that we discovered is that there were a number of monasteries set up on the Greek islands. And these monasteries basically were started by, by super Christians, super spiritual Christians that thought that the best way that they could worship God and serve God and be a Christian is by getting away from people. Now, how many today would love to go to the Greek islands and get away from, get away from people or maybe get away from this weather? I don't know. But it was a very attractive thing. Beautiful weather. It's a nice climate, comfortable place, very beautiful. But you know what? It's just simply not biblical. There's nothing in the scripture that supports that. And so as a spiritual as it may seem, as super spiritual as it may seem, it's just not spiritual. It's not biblical. It's not what God wants. Christianity, listen to me, is always practiced in the context of the fellowship of believers with other believers. And so here's the thing. Christianity is a religion that is practiced in the context of a group of others with like faith. You cannot practice it all by yourself. It's never practiced in isolation. It's never practiced alone. Now, I want you to recognize something. What's the very first thing? that Jesus did when he began his ministry on earth. The very first thing is he got together a small group, didn't he? He, he, got, some, he got some fishermen, he got a tax collector, he got them together and said, look, we're going we're to start a small group. And for, look at, so the whole three years that Jesus is doing his ministry, it's in the context of what? A small group. And so this is what you need to understand about the Christian faith. Because God is love, that's the essence of who God is. God, that's, that's God's description of himself. Because God is love, so the church is supposed to be a reflection of that love. And the only, the only way that you can practice love is with other human beings, right? The only way that we can love each other is if there's people around you to love. A young man right at a Bible college tells of his experience as a new pastor. I, I remember my, some of my first experiences as a new pastor. This fellow was a supply preacher for a small town Texas church. And um, coming in early Sunday 
and preaching a sermon to the congregation. And then he would leave after lunch. He decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to come a bit early and get to know the people a bit. So he showed up in, into the little town a bit, a bit ahead of the time, went to the local diner, sat down, had a cup of coffee and a donut. And someone sitting down the, just down the counter from him said, Hey, are you a preacher or something? He had his Bible out and uh, looking at his notes. And, and the young preacher said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. He says, where, where are you a preacher? He goes, well, um, I'm, a, I'm a preacher at the Christian church here in town. And the man got excited. He said, hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm a member of that church. And this young preacher thought, you know, I've been, I, we've been going there for three, three months preaching sermons. I, I don't think I've ever seen you once, sir. I, I, you say you're a member. And the stranger looked at him and said, you know, I'm a member of that church, but I never said I was fanatical about it. <laughs> now, <laughs> Here's the thing. So many people think, you know, going to church every Sunday is just a bit fanatical. My grandmother was of that opinion. My grandmother on my mother's side, she was not a churchgoer at all. She thought that I was wasting my life going to church. She said, I don't, I could see going at Christmas and Easter, but not every Sunday, for heaven's sake. That's too much. She says, you're young. You should be out enjoying yourself. You shouldn't be in church. I said, Grandma, I'm a Christian. This is what Christians do. She says, well, I'm, are you saying I'm not a Christian? Have you ever noticed that people get their backs up when you, when you, uh, and so grandma was very upset with me. She, she, she thought I was implying that she was not a Christian. Um, I would never tell her that, but in fact, she wasn't a Christian. But she, uh, was very opinionated, strong opinions about what religion is all about. Well, here's the problem with grandma. She didn't understand, she didn't understand Christianity at all. She didn't understand that Christianity is a practice in the context with other people of like faith. Now, if you uh, go back in church history, you'll discover that the church fathers, recognizing how important the teaching of the apostles was and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer, recognizing how important this was, they, they formulated what we call a liturgy. Anybody ever hear that term before? Some of our, la- our, our mainline denominations uh, some of the older churches, they have what they call a liturgy. And so what happens is that people come to church, they sit there, and uh, the, the priest or, the, the, or the, the minister goes through his, his spiel, whatever, goes through the rituals, the rites, and people just come and they sit there and they, and they observe. Now, you, the thing you recognize about the early church is that they were not just observers. Did you notice that? They didn't just sit there and sort of watch church take place. They were the church. Because we're two or more gathered together in Jesus' name, Jesus says, I'm there. And that's church. So here's the thing, folks. When you get together with other believers, Jesus is there and you have church. And how many know you can have church anywhere? You can have it on the bus. You can have it on the street. You can have it just about anywhere. Wherever other believers are met together with you, then you're having church. So these early church fathers, meaning well, making, wanting to make sure that nobody missed anything, they actually froze the spiritual development of, of the believers. And people start, stopped participating and became mere observers. Well, this 40 days campaign is all about getting you back on track so that you are not just sitting there observing church happening Sunday after Sunday. It's an opportunity for you to begin to participate in the life of the fellowship of believers. It's a way for you to participate in the body of Christ. That's what's happening here. 
You say, well, pastor, I mean, I'm growing spiritually. I, I, I turn on the TV and I can watch a, I can watch a TV, Christian TV program, uh, a Christian program. I can watch the TV preachers. I can turn on the radio, listen to the radio preachers. But here's the problem, friends, is that you can't interact with that TV preacher. You can't interact with that radio preacher. I mean, they, they do try. They ask you to send in your letters and your questions and they'll try to answer them on air, whatever. But friends, this is not, this is not authentic church. Authentic church happens when people get together, when they pray together, when they break bread together, when they fellowship together, when they, when they take the Bible up and they begin to discuss it together. That's how authentic church takes place. And fellowship, by the way, is not just eating donuts and coffee together with other Christians. Some people think, man, uh, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna go to see a movie with my Christian friend and, and that's fellowship. That's not fellowship. That's just going to see a movie. Fellowship, my friends, with other believers takes place when you sit together and you talk about what God has showed you and that person talks about what God has shown them and you share together the good things that God has done in your life. That's true, true Christian fellowship. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this 40 Days campaign where we ask you to get involved in a small group. They broke bread together. It's, it's not just eating together, my friends. It's celebrating the fact that, that because of Jesus... We become a family. You know, there's many people here. Well, almost everybody here today. I would not know you if it were not for Jesus. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that very simply is this. Is that because you love Jesus, because I love Jesus, we've come together and we're part of a family. And that's what we celebrate when we get together. We're celebrating the family of God. And how is this family established? It was established, my friends, through what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why we celebrate communion. We celebrate what Jesus has done for us for the way that he's made us a body. They devoted themselves to prayer. Man, those early early church prayer meetings, the Bible says that when, after they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken. When's the last time you were at a prayer meeting where it was just a rocking good time? That's exactly what took place here. This, my friends, is authentic Christianity. This is the Christianity that we want you to experience over these next 40 days. We want you to experience the authentic Christianity where you're not just an observer, but you're a participant. Where you begin to actually experience for yourself the riches and the glory and the power of God and the fellowship of other believers. And I I, I know that that's what's going to happen. We're going to have some great testimonies, some great reports of people who had never been in a small group before. They've come together and they've experienced God in in a powerful way. Why is it important to get in a small group? It's how you grow spiritually. Secondly, it's how you how your needs are met. Look at it says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 43 to 45. The Bible says everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Look at this. Listen, and all the believers were what? Together. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. It was a pretty amazing church, folks. The people in Jerusalem had never seen anything like it before. And as Christianity spread to other parts of the world, pagans and heathens were looking on. What's a pagan or a heathen? Someone who doesn't know God, worships other gods. They were looking on at these Christians and said, this is amazing. Whatever these people want, i got to have it. They take care of each other. They love each other. Well, folks, your needs are met. When you, when you are part of a small group, your spiritual needs are met, your emotional, social needs are met, 
Your physical needs are met. Yeah, that's that's what true church is. Far more than just coming to church and experiencing a liturgy, it's it's participating and experiencing what God intended for you. The problem is, friends, is that people people don't make that next step. They say, you know, I'm going to say the sinner's prayer, and that's good enough. I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to live forever, and that's good enough. Well, it, no, it's not good enough. Because it, here's the thing. If you put your faith in Jesus, you want to grow. You, you want to develop. You want to experience. Listen, you want to experience all that God intended for you to experience. God didn't just save you for eternal life, my friends. He saved you for an abundant life here in this earth. He wants you to experience that. Are you experiencing that? Can you say that you love your life? Can you say that you really enjoy who you are and do you really enjoy being a Christian? Because if you don't, then, friends, you're missing out on, on, on all kinds of blessings. And God wants you to experience experience those blessings, but he wants you to experience them in the context of a small group, a small collection of believers that love Jesus. Three pastors got together for coffee one day. I don't know if this was true or not. Three pastors got together for coffee and found that all their churches had bat infestation problems. Anybody ever had bats in their house? I, I had, we had bats in our house when I was a kid. It was a very frightening little experience, I'll tell you. Um, one preacher said, I got so mad, I took a shotgun and fired at them. It made holes in the ceiling, but did nothing for the bats. <laughs> Another one said, I tried trapping them alive, and then I drove 50 miles before releasing them, uh, and they beat me back to the church. <laughs> the third one said, well, I, I, don't, I haven't got any problems anymore. And the other two amazed said, well, what did you do? What did you do to your bats? He said, well, I simply baptized them and welcomed them into membership, and I haven't seen them since. <laughs> you know, it, it's, really, it's really sad. You know, you show me somebody who has said, I've become a Christian, and they've dropped off the scene, dropped off the, off the earth, so to speak. You never see them in church again. Do you know why that is? Do you know why they've dropped out of fellowship? Do you know why they're only showing up maybe at Christmas and Easter, if at all? The reason that is, my friends, is because they never got connected to, a, to a, a fellowship, a small group of fellowship with other believers where true fellowship took place. That's what happens. And, you know, there's people who, who've, who, who I've baptized. In fact, since the last baptismal service, some of those people are not, are not attending church here anymore. In fact, some are not attending anywhere. What happened? They didn't get connected to a small group. When I say small group, I'm talking about a collection of people who love Jesus. It's, it's, it's in that context that you grow. Spiritual, spiritual needs are met when you're in a small group. I, I was thinking again of my grandmother. You've heard me, maybe some of you have heard me share this. She had just become a Christian here in Winnipeg. She had attended a, a Pentecostal uh, service and, um, and God really touched her, really, delivered her and, and she became a Christian and loved God and, and it wasn't long after my grandfather became a Christian and and uh, because of the, the depression they had to leave the city and, and they moved out to the country because grandpa found a job and while he was there she became very sick and uh, 
so sick, in fact, that she couldn't care for her seven children. And she had to, they had to get somebody from the community to come and, and stay with them and do the cooking, do the cleaning, the washing, that sort of thing. I mean, family with, uh, with all these kids and, and uh, two adults, I mean, that's a lot of work to do. And uh, Grandma, just in a, in a terrible state, was reading in, in the book of Acts and read about how the Apostle Paul had prayed over a handkerchief and how that handkerchief then was used and laid upon somebody and somebody was healed. And so she took that handkerchief and she, she sent a little note to her pastor here in Winnipeg, the letter to the Lord, and she said, would you please pray over this handkerchief and send it back to me so I can put it upon myself and be healed? And so that's exactly what happened. In childlike faith, she sent her handkerchief off to the pastor here in Winnipeg and the pastor prayed over it, sent it back to her in the mail. And um, this woman that was working in my grandma's house, she wasn't a Christian. Grandma takes this envelope out and uh, pulls the handkerchief out, lays it upon herself and says, Lord, I receive your healing in Jesus' name. And in that minute, Grandma was totally healed and got up off her sickbed. And it absolutely freaked out the poor girl that was working there. She, she ran out of the house. She didn't know what was going on. It spooked her at first. But then she began to recognize my grandmother was healed. She came back home, back into the house, and uh, Grandma was able to lead her to the Lord. My friends, this is what happens when you are in fellowship with other believers. You pray for each other, and God does a miracle. That's what, the, that's what Jesus says. Jesus says in, in Matthew 18, 19 to 20, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. My friends, don't be just an observer of the Christian life. Be a participant. Begin to experience the miraculous in your life. Begin to experience the Holy Spirit working in your life, healing you and helping you. It's not just spiritual help, spiritual needs that are met. Your emotional and your social needs are met. The greatest human need beyond food and, and, and water is, is a sense of love and, being, and belonging. God knows what your needs are. And that's why God established His church so that your needs would be met. Your emotional, your social needs are met. The early church became very attractive to unbelievers because of this very reason. No, at no time, if, if you're a history buff today, go ahead and take a look at history. And you'll discover at no time in all of history had anything happened like this where people came together and actually gave each other whatever they needed. Never did you see that before. They loved each other, cared for one another, met each other's needs. It was unheard of. And no wonder the Bible says that people kept coming to Jesus, kept coming to faith in Christ, because they were experiencing their needs being met in ways that they never could have imagined. Not only that, but your physical needs are met as well. This is a church. We care for one another. We care for those in need. We care for those who, who, are, who are in need and, and don't have as much as we have. Marx and Stalin, they tried to... They tried to reproduce this kind of communal living where everybody owns nothing and everybody shares with each other. And, of course, you know what happened there. It didn't work. Why? Because, my friends, the only way that, that this kind of a life can, 
can take place is if people's hearts have been touched by Jesus. Their lives have been transformed. And so here we have a collection of people whose hearts have been totally transformed by Christ's love, and they begin to love each other and care for one another and meet each other's needs. It's unbelievable. Never been, never been seen or heard of before. And it happens through Christ. My friends, that's why at our church here, we, as often as we can, try to do what we can to help those in need. I got a call from Shirley's brother, but a family up in Fairford whose house burnt down in this church rose up and said, we're, we're willing to do what we can to meet the needs. It's absolutely thrilling. Not just our church, but other churches. Why would, you, why would we give, take money out of our pockets and give to people we don't even know? I'll tell you why. It's because of the love of Christ. It's because this is what it means to be a Christian. In fact, my friends, sharing is what gives us a sense of the divine. It's unbelievable. Some of you may have noticed some posters up called Island Breezes. And this church is, is reaching out right now to the Philippines to help those in need there. Um, I'm so excited about that. Ali, can you come here for a sec? Come. I, I'm embarrassing you, I know. and You're going to be mad at me and probably kick me after. But I didn't tell you ahead of time because I thought maybe you'd be too nervous and couldn't concentrate. But uh, here, take this microphone. We... Uh, We've we got a special project. Can you just quickly tell us a little bit about, about the special project that we want to take on in the Philippines? This is really something uh, very encouraging. Um, and Sister Ellis and I and Ms. Martin Shirley Jr. were able to go around and see the project that we had in, that we were eyeing, looking around. It's called the Jesus Grace Ministry. And they were um, agreeing to be mass-based people of the Philippines. Um, who, who are these people? Well, children of the street, um, people who, are, who have been from different areas of the Philippines and just because there's problems in those areas, they come to Manila. Like refugees. Refugees from different provinces. They come to Manila thinking that there's a work in Manila, but they don't find any. So what they end up being is they end up on the streets not having food, not having a um, place to stay. And this um, ministry is administering to them. Okay, so there's no welfare? There is no welfare from the government, but they don't reach this kind of people. They doesn't reach, doesn't get, no. no soup kitchens or anything like that? No soup kitchens. So we got all these people, like how many people we're talking about? Um, like, like, like a thousand people on the streets? This, they have satellites, all this. Metro Manila is a big area. So they have different places, but in one area we were, they're sitting about 20 to 30 places, just one area. Yeah. And you can tell you about 12 or 13 areas all over Metro Manila. They're doing this in a week's time, like feeding them, taking them off the street, having Bible study, and then trying to get them employed, trying to get them assimilated in the church, and then helping them try to um, get back their lives. It's uh, like a holistic approach to... Uh, okay, so... so so this project that we're looking at is bringing these people in off the streets, and where do, where do we where do we take them to? Where do they take them to? Um, they are having a project where they will be putting up houses made of nipa. I don't know what, if you know what nipa huts are. They are uh, materials made of uh, bamboo. bamboo and wood, so it's very eco-friendly, and they're trying to and. 
they will build these houses and uh, they will get these people, these children, these families off the street, put them in these houses, teach them how to um, earn a living, and then eventually um, help them get back uh, on the, by themselves on the street and get be productive members of the society again. And many of them become part of the church. Yes, many of them uh, give their hearts to Christ. Yes. And so, so to build one, so there's a, there's going to be a camp, right? It's going to be a camp. And how many of these these houses are they going to be building? Are, they are they are thinking about building ten mipahat, okay? Ten mipahat, which will be used for a campsite, uh, um, even for something for kids, kids and youth, and even be used for training for leaders too. Okay. A sample of it, yeah. We're really excited about it. And, um, and this group are just praying that somebody would, would partner with them so they can put up this Mipahat. And I think the Lord is knocking on somebody's heart. And uh, it's just great to be able to see something that the Philippines is um, trying to put up a project. And if we, our group in Canada, can partner up with them, then something good, Something great will be done, and the Lord will be praised. Okay, now, how many people will each hut hold? Ten to twelve. Okay. Ten to twelve. Okay. So, and, and, uh, so they need at least ten. Alec was suggesting maybe even twenty of them, eh? There's two kinds of huts. There's okay. one bungalow. A bungalow, and then a two-story? There's two stories. They're made up of wood and materials. Okay, here's the thing, folks. Um, so we're gonna we, we're gonna partner with this ministry in the Philippines. We are asking everybody in our church. This remember this is not this is not a fellowship banquet. This is a fundraising banquet. We're asking everybody in our church, um, in the course of 365 days, to give fifty dollars, uh, and and to give that fifty dollars at the, at the time of that we have the banquet, and um, and uh, we're hoping that we can build at least twenty of those huts. Hoping hoping to raise at least $20,000. Now, those of you who know our church, we've, we've raised a lot more than that. Now, I've, I've got some really good news. I don't know if you heard this yet or not, but I was talking to a business about the fact that we were going to be helping people get, off the, get people off the streets in the Philippines, people that, that have, have virtually nothing, right? They're totally poor. they got nothing, nothing in this world. I was so excited about this. I told this business about it, how we want to build these huts, and the business told me, Donor of the business told me that they would be willing to match dollar for dollar every dollar that we that we raise here, up to fifteen thousand dollars, Carolyn, up to fifteen thousand dollars. I I am absolutely convinced, Ali, that we can do it. We can raise enough money to build all the huts that that ministry is looking for. Friends, this is what it's about. Amen. Amen. Thank you. This is the church in action. I was talking to Alec this morning. She said she's already talking to some of the some of the folks at work about it. They're so excited about it. They want to contribute. My wife Gloria's talking to some of her friends that they they want to contribute. Everybody's excited about it. Why is it, folks? Because this is what the church is all about. We are all about reaching out, meeting the needs of others. You ever notice that whenever there's a disaster in the world, the first people there are the Christians. You notice that? Wherever there's a landslide, a volcano, or earthquake, it's the Christian agencies that are there first. In fact, uh, 
any disaster, any catastrophe around the world, the first people on the scene, you'll notice, are Christians. I'm not putting down other religions. I'm just telling you that the essence of Christianity is that we love and care for others. And my friends, uh, we're hoping that through the 40 days of community, that the small groups will get together and they'll say, you know what, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to contribute. Here's how we're going to get involved. The third thing I want to share with you quickly, another, another reason why it's important to get into a small group, is because it's how you win others to Christ. It's a hard thing to, to tell people about Jesus. But if you can invite them into your social group, your social group being your small group, being your Christian group, They'll get a chance to experience firsthand the love of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, 46, 47, it says that the early church was praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, my friends, listen to me. The church ought to be the best advertisement for being a Christian. Unfortunately, it's not. Sometimes we have, uh, we have failed the world. We've been known as sometimes stuffy and sometimes uh, arrogant miserable, grouchy. We want to be a a church of believers that love one another and love the world out there. And the way that we can love the world out there is by inviting them in to come and get to know the Jesus that you serve. Do you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My very first, this is my very first memory of church. And I don't mean, I don't mean just preaching a sermon and, and singing songs. But my very first experience of, of, of Christians interacting was in the boys' program that I went to. It was called Brigades. Anybody heard of Brigades? I was in the Stockader program. And I was so impressed by the love and the camaraderie and the friendship that was experienced in that place. I was so impressed by the way that people loved each other and how these men all interacted with each other and, and especially how much they loved me and cared about me. They genuinely cared about me. I decided almost that very first, for almost that very first a visit to that boys' program, I decided that I wanted whatever these people had. I wanted whatever they had. And so Mr. Reverend Cantillon, who was assistant pastor at Calvary Temple back then, he, uh, he asked if there was anybody, any, any of us young boys wanted to ask Jesus into our heart. And I put up my hand. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to have what these people had. I wanted to have that love. I wanted to have that... I wanted to have that... Uh, that connection, that fellowship. My friends, do you know that the church is all about loving God and, and loving one another? Billy Graham did a crusade in the South in, the, in his early years of doing crusades. And he, he said the only way that he would do that crusade is on the condition that there would be no segregation, no division of blacks and whites. He said everybody comes together or not at all. And so for the first time in the history of the South, blacks and whites and everybody in between gathered together to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And it was because of Christianity that that took place. And here are these people meeting together, unified, not by skin color, but unified by Christ. My friends, this is, this is what Christianity is all about. Winning others to Christ through our love for each other. And here's the thing you're going to discover. Wherever there are Christians loving God and loving each other, you're going to find new believers. You're going to find people coming to Jesus. And the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. I'm going to ask Don and Dennis and Jesse if you'd join me up here for a moment. Could you come, guys? 
Is Don available? I don't see him here anywhere. Jesse, you come on up. And maybe, Felicia, you want to run and get those guys. And, uh, Scotty, do you have a brief, a brief uh, video clip there for us? Let's see that video clip, and then we're going to hear from these men. Back a few months ago, we started talking about this campaign that we wanted to do. And really, it's all about trying to get people connected and helping people get into small groups. And so, uh, Don, just to begin, tell us a little bit what's on your heart. Well, uh, part of 40 Days of uh, Community, uh, they, they tell you to go ahead and think exponentially. And we took a look at the situation with our small groups. We had a handful of small groups uh, running, and we thought, well, let's set a goal. We'll set a goal of 15. That, that might be a stretch. But uh, you know, God's always got better ideas. We now have 22 groups. Wow, excellent. And uh, that's really encouraging. And there's enough group for each one of you to get involved. And from a, a personal standpoint, I, I would really encourage you to get involved because uh, a while back, uh, we were going through a really difficult time. If it wasn't for our uh, small group uh, praying for us and, and supporting us, So if you want to get into a small group, you're not in a small group yet, you haven't signed up yet, we've got a, a community center just out here in the foyer. Just come and talk to one of these men. They'll be there, and they'll help you get signed up at a place that best suits you. And what, what happens during the 40 Days campaign is Pastor Allen teaches a message that we can do with the same team in the small group, and you get a, a workbook to work through a video curriculum with your small group hosts, and uh, a 40-day devotional. Okay, so hosts will have the books available, and they can begin. Yes, well, we'll start next week. Okay. Week one starts next week, next Sunday if you're on Sunday, or Wednesday if you're on Wednesday. But your host will get this for you once you're signed up in a group. What about memory verses? We have a keychain with memory verses on them, six, one for each week. This one has more memory verses yet because they're in my pocket. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, Jesse, uh, you've got, uh, you have an exciting group, a uh, small group. Tell us a little bit about your group. Uh, our group uh, has been meeting for about more than a year now, and it's been very exciting. Uh, our groups are growing. Uh, our group was growing in, in, in a lot of areas, in friendship, and, uh, and we are, uh, the bonding together as our group is it's growing. And we've been, I guess we've moved uh, beyond the small groups already, that we've been doing some stuff that other small groups uh, hasn't done. 
you know, like we've been playing volleyball, basketball, and it's competition between the women and the men, you know. And, and so uh, there's a lot of praying going on during that. <laughs> and, and whoever loses uh, cooks the barbecue for us. Uh, you know. So it, it is uh, very exciting. And if you are not, uh, you, if you haven't uh, signed up for this small groups, I encourage you to uh, sign up and uh, join a group that is closer to your place. And I, I assure you, it, it is a blessing. And for those who sign up as a host, Oh, this is a very fantastic uh, moment for you uh, to be uh, to be a host, also. And you know the blessings are tremendous, and and the uh, the rewards are eternal, has eternal repercussions. Amen. <laughs> Jesse, preach it. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're going to. Um, we're going to invite you right after the service. If you haven't signed up yet, you're not part of a small group. I don't care how old you are. Uh, we've got something for you. Go to the booth, and they'll help you get to directed in the right uh, in the right manner. We're gonna we're gonna have communion right now. And for those of you who don't know what this is, uh, it's one of the one of the, the last things that Jesus asked believers to do. He asked us to come together and to remember his death, remember what he did for us at the cross. And Jesus, as you know, died for you and for me. He uh, he took the spiritual punishment, the spiritual death that each of us was was destined for. He died on the cross, took away our sin. And so that's what we're celebrating. And not only are we celebrating the fact that we have new life through Christ, but we're celebrating the fact that because of Christ, we're a family. We're a body. And so I'm going to invite you right now just to bow your heads, shut yourself in with the Lord. And uh, would you take a moment to thank the Lord for what he's done for you? And it's important for you to, to examine your heart. The Bible's clear that we should not take the body or the blood of the Lord in an unworthy manner. He's called us to examine our hearts. And this morning, would you do that? There's this, any unconfessed sin in your life, there's anything in your life that's not what it ought to be. Why don't you just confess that to the Lord right now and ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you. And the Bible's clear that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, of all evil. He'll take that away. Do that right now.